There you go. There you go. I hope you're doing well. You certainly look good. And of course, I don't have my glasses on, but I'm just believing it to be true. No, you all look beautiful. You absolutely look beautiful. We want to we bend our conversation now toward a very serious topic that uh, requires our full attention even as you enjoy your meal. And joining us uh, at this uh, desk today are members from an organization in the city of Philadelphia known as the Media Mobilization Project. Uh, at the table with us to my right and to, I guess it would be your right as well, is Brian Mercer, the co-executive director of this organization. And he is joined by Jeff Rousset, who is one of the organizers, I do believe, of the Media Mobilization Project. And we want to talk for the next a few moments about the plight that is facing uh, African-America and media-owned media in, let me say that again, African-American and minority-owned media in our society today. First gentlemen, thank you for joining us and for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having us on air. It's great to be here. Well, Brian, it's a privilege to have you. Jeff, it's a privilege to have you as well. Thank you. Um, let, let's first start off by spending a little time talking about who media mobilization pro who the media mobilization project is so that mm -hmm. people can know more about you mm -hmm. no that's great and i think you know one way to introduce that is to introduce ourselves a little bit and for for media mobilizing project in general we've been working at the the intersection of technology and social justice um, how how media and communications can be a part of the, the real change that our communities need to, to meet our human rights and to, to make sure our needs are met. And, you know, I, I personally came into that and became interested in that when I was a young young kid and I learned how to build a computer for the first time. My, my dad... Did you he, say you built a computer? Yeah. For, bringing all the parts together, my dad brought home a case um, that the computer goes into. We took parts from an old computer and that became the machine that I use for years in my life, right? And, and that experience was, was really transformative to me. Um, and after, after college, coming back to the city, I was able to work on a high school, a program for high schoolers to show them also how to build computers, right? Um, but one of the things I learned too in the process is that we can get hands-on with the technology, but we also need to change the policies that affect our access to the technology and whether or not the technology and communications are meeting the, the needs of our communities, right? So a huge thing that we see is this decline of black media. Um, it's, a, it's affected myself, it's affected my family. And so for Media Mobilizing Project as an organization, we've been looking at these issues and how to change the policies in a long-lasting way to make sure that our communities have the access to technology, the access to good media that we need, and so that we can use that media to make our lives better. Before Jeff chimes in, there are two things I got from that. The first thing is how important media is and how pivotal it is for the growth and life of the community. And the second thing I got is that you are a lot smarter than I am. But then we'll go to <laughs> Jeff say right after that. You know, Jeff, uh, please introduce yourself and, and how you work with the Media Mobilizing Project. Let me make sure I get that straight. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, having us on the show today. Um, you know, I basically, I, I always loved media growing up. I watched a lot of TV, listened to a lot of music. Um, Read a, read a lot of news, um, but my my relationship with the media really changed in 2003, and that's when the Iraq War started. Um, I was actually a cadet in military school uh, when the U.S. Uh, launched the war in Iraq, and many of my friends were actually in the military, so I felt like that was an issue really close to my heart. And um, 
one of my friends actually ended up being being shot uh, and and killed in Iraq, and another one of my friends who was a high school football star was shot in the spine uh, by a sniper and ended up paralyzed below the waist um, for the rest of his life, and 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 that really. Um, that that was really shocking, you know, and 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 what what came to light after the fact was that actually there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So it was like, well, why did this happen, right? And I started to really ask questions about why was the media saying the things they did? Why were they acting in those ways? How did the media operate, and what influence do they have? on our lives, right? That's very powerful to be able to drive a, a nation into war. It's probably the True. biggest responsibility we could have on this planet, right? And so I became really uh, interested in the media and I, I went to Drexel uh, University and studied corporate communications and, and public relations. And, 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 and I think a lot of the, um, the, the questions that I had, especially around that time were like, whose voices were being heard on the media. It wasn't the soldiers. It wasn't my friends who were fighting the fights. It was always the politicians and kind of the big generals and the people at the top. And a lot of people's voices were being left out. And so that led me to, to you know, want to really create a media infrastructure and system that could really amplify the voices and the stories of people on the ground, of people in our communities, and not just hear stories from the top down and hear the same old stories over and over, but really how to increase the number of voices uh, and use it to, to think critically about issues that are happening in society. So that, that's kind of how I got into this work. So, so both of you, I mean, you, you, you both take a, a, a sort of different angle in on it. You talking about the ability to not only shape messages, but to bend truth to the point that people will do what they would not ordinarily do. Mm-hmm. And you speak about the apparatus that allows us to have access to it uh, through the internet and so forth. And we're going to get to that momentarily. But uh, I, want, I want you to draw a picture for us and, and kind of um, make the case for the current by, by giving us the current situation when it comes to media ownership, uh, it, it appears to me that something this powerful should not be entrusted into the hands of the few, but the many. But give us a clearer picture as to who actually controls media today and who owns media today. Uh, Brian, why don't we start with you? Yeah, that, it's, a, it's a good question. And I think one of the biggest illustrations of who controls media today is, you know, if we go back to the 1980s, we see hundreds of companies owning um, different broadcast television stations, owning different um, cable companies, owning um, different providers of, of information. And when we look today, you can trace back so much of the media that we see, watch, and hear to just six companies, six corporations. The the Comcast, NBCs of the world, the GEs, General Electrics of the world, and, and these these corporations control so much of what we hear and see from, from BET and Viacom to, to HBO to CBS. And, and how that's impacted African Americans has been huge. I mean, there's there's been a, a huge decline in black radio, for example, where black radio stations, um, only about 3% of radio stations are owned by African Americans across the country, um, even though, you know, African Americans make up about 15% of the U.S. And so there's this huge disparity in who, who's being represented and, and how we're being represented. I, I want to get clear on something. You, you may mention of only about six major entities owning most of the media. And one of the entities that you mentioned was GE. Mm-hmm. 
I, I always thought of GE as, you know, making fans and phones and the electrical appliances. How are they in the game and what are they owning? Yeah, for a long time, actually, GE um, owned um, N- NBC. They had a controlling stake in NBC. Recently, um, when Comcast purchased NBC, GE, they, they uh, went out of the media ownership game. But for a long time, GE was one of the few big companies there. Yeah. Well, let's... Uh- and if I could add to that, there's actually an interesting story about how Comcast came to own NBC. And of course, uh, the FCC is the, the government body that oversees communications mergers to make sure that they're in the public interest. Uh, and so when Comcast decided to buy NBC, there was a lot of controversy around it because people were worried that Comcast was going to be too big, right? That they mm-hmm. would have too much power by being a content provider and a content producer and a distributor. Uh, and so actually what they did was that they didn't just buy NBC, but they actually bought their own FCC commissioner. Uh, Meredith Atwell Baker was one of the FCC commissioners overseeing the deal. And she was actually advocating for that deal to be fast when you forwarded. Say they bought her, are you? Uh, I'll, get, I'll get to it. So, so Meredith Atwell Baker tried to speed up the deal while people were saying, hold on, we should hit the brakes on this thing. She was saying, no, no, this is a good deal. This is a good deal. And after the de- after she approved the deal, uh, she resigned abruptly from the N- from the FCC to go take a job as Comcast's chief lobbyist, right? And so Comcast actually has a lot of political power because anybody who has a no, say in whether in what their decisions in, in 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 regulating or overseeing Comcast is kind of in their pockets in many in many ways you, you know we, let, let's let's flesh that out a little bit more for those of you just catching up with us this is the nick talia Farrell show broadcasting live from relish restaurant we are focusing of course on conscious consumerism and seated with us currently are two individuals from the media mobilizing project uh, mr brian mercer the co-executive director and jeff rousset who is one of the organizers, and you just said something that brings us to the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is Comcast. I remember when Comcast was just kind of a player in the game, cable-wise, and then suddenly they began to gobble up other cable companies, and then they gobbled up NBC, and now they want to gobble up a little bit more. Uh, Tell us why having Comcast grow so large, especially in Philadelphia where everybody says, but they'll bring jobs. Tell us why we should be wary of that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the right question to be asking. So what, what's in play right now, Comcast would like to merge with Time Warner Cable. Um, and Time Warner Cable is the second largest cable provider in the country. Comcast is already the number one cable provider in the country. Um, but what you have basically right now is uh, a split between Comcast and Time Warner, between where people can go for cable. In some cities it's Comcast, some cities it's Time Warner. What would happen in this merger is 19 out of the 20 biggest cities in the United States would have Comcast as their sole provider of internet and, and cable services. Comcast would be the cable provider, the cable internet and cable TV provider in 19 out of 20 of the biggest cities in the U.S. Um, the merger would mean that about 33% of households would have would would be in the Comcast market, um, and it would literally give Comcast 
massive influence over everything about how we watch TV and more and more about how we um, browse the internet. And what um, content comes us, to us through those portals. That's right. That's right. So one of the big examples that's already in play around this is um, Netflix. If people watch Netflix, um, use it to watch movies, download shows, um, Comcast has been able to demand that Netflix pay them more money for you to watch Netflix. And so what's going to happen eventually is that cost is going to get passed down to the consumer. So you pay once for your Comcast bill to get internet, but then you pay again for your Netflix and your price of your Netflix is going to go up. Um, because Comcast is charging more to Netflix. Uh, hold on, just I, I just want to make sure that 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 people are, are are hearing what you're saying. That this, because I'm I'm of the understanding that the FCC is there to prevent the establishment of monopolies when it comes to uh, controlling the media and how we communicate with one another. Uh, and you're saying to me that the FCC might be actually facilitating mm -hmm. the creation of monopolies. Jeff, you wanted to add something to that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's absolutely right, Nick. And and again, the 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 NBC deal and 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 Comcast funding uh, and 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 hiring actually FCC commissioners goes to show the kind of political and economic power that they have over the regulatory agencies and the government bodies that are supposed to to oversee these kinds of mergers. I mean, basically, I think I think you nailed it uh, right on the head. Comcast is playing Monopoly. You know, they're playing Monopoly with our city. They're playing Monopoly with our lives. And when that happens, we all suffer. There's nothing good. More consolidation means less diversity, less viewpoints. And more and more, it's one company that produces and distributes the messages that we see and hear on a daily basis and the flow of information that we need. And, you know, that kind of uh, top-down flow uh, control over the flow of information is a really big threat to democracy, where we actually need a lot of information from a lot of different viewpoints in order to make decisions about our lives and about our politics. You, you are speaking now and, and conversing with us, Brian and Jeff, you are talking on, on the only black-owned talk station in the state of Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. the only black-owned talk station in the tri-state region, and one of the few black-owned radio stations in the country nowadays. In 1996, President Bill Clinton uh, signed into law the, the Telecom Act, which basically deregulated radio and led to the demise of these radio stations. Uh, what has been the impact uh, on that, obviously it means fewer stations, but what, what is the impact on, on the ability to communicate? And not only that, what recourse do we have? Because we're getting fewer and fewer black owned radio stations as well. And television stations are down to almost zilch right about now. So that's right. Yeah, it, it, it is a, a sad state of affairs. Um, that's true. In, in, in 1996, President Bill Clinton signed the Telecommunications Act, uh, which gave few and fewer companies the ability to own more and more stations. So what that means in radio specifically is that uh, a company called Clear Channel owned about 50 radio stations before the Telecom Act was signed. Today, Clear Channel owns over 850 radio stations all over the country. And they have about, according to them, about 237 million weekly listeners. Uh, so basically the way that that kind of a radio system works is somebody in New York presses play and the same top 40 hits go out all over the country, right? So you can drive from California to mm -hmm. Philly and hear the same songs over and over and over. And you're not hearing local programming. You're not hearing local voices. Um, who are you hearing? Well, the, the number one talk radio show 
is Nick Talapero show. No, I'm only kidding. Go ahead. I wish it should be, but it's Rush Limbaugh. Oh, it's Lord. Rush Limbaugh, right? And so that's th- th- when when we get more and more consolidation, those are the kinds of voices that 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 we hear more and more, right? These racist, sexist, kind of classist perspectives. And it's also important to keep in mind that Clear Channel is owned by Bain Capital, which is Mitt Romney's company, right? Not, now that I did not know. And so we see that like consolidation puts these kind of conservative, really wealthy business people in control of a lot of information that really affects our lives. Well, now we're talking about, and for those of you just joining us, we're talking about uh, media in the hands of the few. You're listening to this conversation on one of the only black radio stations in the country and the only black talk station in the state, which is a testament to the fact that we are in trouble. Now, uh, the, the thing is, now this is what gets me from a, a political uh, perspective. The 1996 Telecom Act was signed into law by a Democratic president. We always say the Republicans are out to get us, but this is a Democratic president. Comcast right now, and, and I like the gentleman, he's not a personal friend, but we're friendly toward each other. David Cohen is one of the vice presidents of Comcast, and Comcast now is trying to become basically all in all when it comes to providing a portal to the internet. How do we as common people make our voices heard so that we don't become the victims of this kind of oligarchy? Mm-hmm. Ryan? That's right. I mean, we, we have to make our voices heard, and I think there are uh, some really important routes to do so. And in Philadelphia, there's actually a really big one coming up, particularly about Comcast. So Comcast has to negotiate an agreement in the city to use, um, to use the lampposts, to put wires under the ground, to deliver cable service. And when they make that agreement, they need to give something back for all the profit that they're gonna make off of offering that service using our public streets, our public rights of way. And, and so every 15 years or so, they negotiate an agreement. These agreements, they're called franchise agreements to be able to deliver that service. And their agreement is coming up um, for renegotiation. They gotta make a new agreement in 2015. So the city is already right now as we speak looking over how has Comcast treated people over the last few years, right? How, how has the service been? Is the service affordable? Is, does the service carry the programming that people want to see? And asking people these questions because they're going into this agreement. And if you go to our website, mediamobilizing.org, um, you can find on there a way to to get connected to the city and give comments to the city because they want to hear how has the service been. And which, which regulatory body will actually be hearing the, these, uh, mm-hmm. holding these hearings? The city council in Philadelphia is going to oh, be excellent, holding excellent. the hearings. So yep. people that we elect are going to be holding the hearings here. That's okay. right. That's right. And, and you know, we, we really have a one-time chance right now to hold Comcast accountable and to make them pay their fair shares. You know, the, there's no reason why our school should be closing uh, uh, because what they keep on saying is that there's no money in Philly, right? Schools don't have books. They're firing teachers. They keep saying there's no money. There's no money. There's no money. Actually, there is money. Comcast is out of money. The problem is not that there's no money. The problem is that the people with the most money aren't paying their fair share. But right now, opportunity to get involved with this process, with this franchise agreement, tell the city what we want Comcast and what we need from Comcast. If Comcast is a $160 billion corporation, right, they're massive, one of the biggest companies in the world, their executives make 10 to 20 to $30 million a year. Their executives 
could single-handedly pay for the school district budget deficit, but they don't. On the other hand, their executives lobby to have our schools dismantled and to have teachers fired. They say teachers should pay for the school district deficit. No, teachers shouldn't pay. Teachers make $40,000 a year. These people are making almost $40 million a year, right? So that kind of inequality is not just a bad economic policy. It's It's a moral outrage, right? And so we have an opportunity right now to get involved to participate in the franchise process, to tell the city what we need, and to put pressure on Comcast so that they stop paying, so that they stop raising their rates, so that they stop charging us so much, and so that they actually pay their fair share. Comcast right now pays about 3.4% uh, into uh, of their state income taxes, when most businesses pay more than 9%. The reason why they get all these lucrative, cushy deals is because they invest so much money into our politics, and in fact, Comcast is the biggest funder of Governor Corbett, right? So we know that Comcast gives money to all the politicians Mm. so that they can rig the game in their favor. And right now we have one opportunity to get involved to make Comcast pay their fair share. And again, if everybody goes to mediamobilizing.org and sign up, give us your email address so we can stay in touch. We're going to be mobilizing and organizing and turning people out to make sure that the city hears from us what we need to make Comcast pay their fair share. I get the impression, Jeff, you got a little bit of tear the roof off the sucker in you there. I mean, just just a little bit of it. Ryan Mercer is the co-executive director of the Media Mobilizing Project, and Jeff Rousset is one of the organizers there, and as you can see, he is inspired and inspiring. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for spending this time with us, and I'm hoping that this will not be our last time together because we need to keep beating this drum to make sure that we keep this message out there. Can we get you to come back at a later time? Without a doubt, we'd be happy to. We look forward to it. Absolutely, and we're going to be doing a whole lot moving forward, and again, we want everybody to get involved because this is, this is all, our, all of our fight, and, and we can win, but we need everybody involved. We're going to take a quick pause. We're going to hold off on Tanya Hart back at the studio. We've got our friends uh, who are still with us from the NAPS, the National Association for the Prevention of Starvation. See if we can squeeze one last number before they go. They got their food, and I know they want to eat. And then we'll be talking a little bit more about crowdfunding uh, with a voice that uh, you may not have heard, but the name you have heard. Tim Reese is with us, and we'll talk about uh, an innovative way to have cooperative venturing when it comes to fundraising. Right after this break, we'll be right back. <laughs> 